pre-dropped here, no doubt. Yeah, pre-dropped. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. It made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Hey, partner. Good morning, Sean. Uh, there might be an echo in the room. Hopefully our audio producer can take care of that, but it's a good sign because that means we're in the same room, Dylan. We are at the Open Championship here in Hoylake at Royal Liverpool, uh, and we're going to dive into a little draft. What are we drafting? Well, Sean, yeah, it's good to be here. Uh, good to be back in the, the mother country. <laughs> the motherland? The motherland. Back in England, we are looking out on... Uh, what's the name of this beach? Uh, Hoylake Beach. Hoylake Beach. I think. We have secured a strange but well-located rental home just up the beach uh, from Royal Liverpool. And I just a good feeling to be here. You've been here for a month. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, am getting over a, well, I mean, you know, standard but somewhat severe case of jet lag but i slept pretty nicely last night ready to go check out all things golf course today and uh, i don't remember the question yeah the question is what are we drafting we're gonna draft storylines we're just gonna run you through from our perspective what would be the most interesting ways that this open championship could end um in my mind these are fairly realistic storylines like you know yeah Phil's not going to win. Tiger busting through the <laughs> gates, demanding a tee time and going on to win. would That would be big news. Uh, but I was thinking stuff that we feel is slightly more likely to happen. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to seed the floor, and I'm going to take picks two and three. You can have one and four. Oh, have- so it's snake draft. Yeah, a little snake draft. All right. I mean, first, it's got to be Rory. The Rory first, McElroy wins the first, first overall. overall pick. Rory McElroy winning the Open at Hoylake, the course that he won his last Open at, his third major at. Explain why. It's been a long time. It's been it's been nine years. Um, it's been since that summer. It was not. It's easy to think now. Oh yeah, the Open's the last major of the year. No, his his most recent win came in the 2014 PGA Championship, but. Still, the last time Rory was winning a major, it was this summer of 2014. He won that year at Hoylake. He's back. He is more central to golf and professional golf than he ever has been. Like Rory, Rory's star is as big now as at any point in his career, I would say. Uh, Tiger fading into the background. The politicization of professional golf has elevated Rory to like a new standing in the game. All the while his golf has been just as consistent, maybe better than ever, but he has not won this major championship. He just finished second again at the U S open. Now he's coming in in great form after an insane finish at the Scottish open. You can only imagine if that finish would have come at the open instead. Um, but Sean, I think that Rory is also the only guy for whom not winning would be a storyline. Yeah. Like in golf, you're not expected to win. So yeah, it's really just a story if you do win in general, unless you're someone like Tiger or in this case, 
if your chance to win a major disappears after this event like Rory. Josh Burhau is in the room. That's who you can hear creaking around on this floor in our Hoylake estate. Josh, is Rory the number one story at this open? Yeah, just enough. Oh. But um, it has to be Rory, right? Um, I think we've we've been here many times before. I think I kind of just overheard Dylan saying something like this. But, like, you keep saying he's getting all these close calls at majors and we're back at Hoylake and he just won and all the – everything's lining up. And at some point he's just going to do it. Like, I'm kind of getting sick of the same old song and dance with him about, oh, another close call with Rory at a major. But he has to do it at some point. And this is kind of what we said – um, you know, just a month ago, but we're there again. Like he's got to do it eventually, and just everything keeps aligning, showing all signs, Rory. So maybe it's this week. Maybe it's this week. Thank you, Josh. Sean, number two. All right, number two storyline. Now, like true, nothing else matters, but this would be the next most uh, impressive, important thing. I think in the golf world, hmm. I think it would be a double major season. Now, you maybe be inclined to talk about Scotty Scheffler, the best player on the planet, not getting a major, but I think it's a double major season, which would be either John Rahm winning, Wyndham Clark winning, or Brooks Kepka winning. Now, if Kepka were to win and be <laughs> a live golfer with two majors, thus, like, uh, reducing the PGA Tour Player of the Year award to something that's kind of irrelevant would be very interesting. John Rahm winning uh, would put him on a, a true ascent to the top of the game, or Wyndham Clark winning would be perhaps the most shocking double major season in, in maybe the game's history, and he would become Player of the Year. So there's a lot that could be decided this week by just one of those guys winning, and I think... It's certainly plausible. Like that's not an unrealistic thing. Three of the top fifteen players on the planet. Um, I think that that would really carry us for with some story, with some headlines. So that is my pick for the number two storyline. Tim Clark, he's playing nice golf. It wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world, but kind of big picture, if you'd said, hey, at the start of the year, there will be someone with two majors. Wyndham would probably you would take a little while before you get there. Uh, I feel like you really squeezed a bunch of different storylines into one pick there. Yeah. Well, we can't just talk about like 15 winners and what it would mean when ranking them. I think that they, we got to have like, because Wyndham Clark winning does n- is not a big deal. Yeah. With Brooks Kepka winning is respect. a big deal. Sure. He is now, I guess everyone is there where a win changes your career, but God, he's really in his own uh, stratosphere right now. That would put him. One further uh, ahead of Rory would tie him with Phil. Like in terms of active major guys, he is the guy. Yeah. So, I yeah, just I like mean, he's right up it. there. I yeah, like no. packaging it in the double major sense. It's the last major of the year. We don't have another one for nine months. We don't have another one. And then, I mean, John Rahm, every time we sort of forget about him for a second, he reminds us. Yeah. And he, this dude has still won in, he's won six of his last 19 worldwide starts. So yeah, it's been a second, but it hasn't really been that long. Like it, it's where well, I think we're only six starts removed from his last victory. So 
yeah, don't don't sleep too hard on John Rom. I personally want to. I'm going to draft this one. It's probably surprising. Um, it has nothing to do with Scotty Scheffler. I know everyone's mind is going to be on him at some point, but I am going to say the next biggest storyline to me would be <laughs> uh, extreme bias. Tommy Fleetwood winning in mm. Liverpool. Uh, Tommy's from Liverpool, and it would check that box, right? The homegrown kid winning his first major. He's been playing really good golf lately, but it would mostly check an important box. It would be an Englishman winning the Open in England, uh, and it would be the first Englishman to win in 30 years. Like It's been 30 years since Nick Faldo won this event, and many Englishmen have come close, but it's kind of hard for that country to hold its hat up high, right? Without having someone who's winning their open, the open, their event. And so Tommy Fleawood to do it from Liverpool, from where he grew up, to check that box, I think was a, it would be a potentially massive storyline if we could get there, you know, by Saturday evening, Saturday afternoon. Because you remember what Portrush was like when Shane Lowry won the open. That was nuts. I mean, even when Rory stepped to the first tee, that was nuts. And then that turned nuts for a different reason. But, yeah, Lowry winning was insane. I think that the Brits really have a – the Brits have, like, a pride in their golfers that it's not even just a – it's not even just good news when it happens. It's like they need it to happen. Yeah, There's a a desperation for the lads to show up and – if they don't, that's the like flip side of this storyline, right? Is like if Justin Rose and Tyrrell Hatton, Tommy Fleetwood, if they don't play there's well. There's actual pressure on them to play well. It's not just like, oh, if this happens, it would be nice. It's like, yeah, you're right. If this doesn't happen, they're going to be mad. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that that's solid. I, I think for the fourth pick, you just mentioned that everyone's going to be thinking about it. I think somehow not enough attention has been paid to this run that Scotty Scheffler is on. I guess because he's not winning enough because he's not like running away with some of these tournaments and because he's just putting up a ridiculously consistent display of ball striking. But this, how many top fives do you have in a row now? Seven, (laughs) seven top fives in a row, 19 tournaments in a row where he's finished inside the top 12. (laughs) I'm so excited for him to hit that 20 mark. Cause yeah, this that number is just not going to be touched for a very long time. And I don't know what the odds are. Like if you if you could bet each week on Scotty to finish top twelve, mm. I would imagine since it's still golf at the start of this, at least that would be a little better than like fifty fifty. But for him to do it, like what if you're just playing that every week? Oh yeah, let's get Scotty for a top top ten bet. Say yeah. You'd be cashing in. Yeah. Um, so I think the storyline with Scotty is like, okay, how can he have this season and not win a major championship? I think the, the thing that I like about it is we try we have to talk about this every single week, and we've brought it up just about every single week, especially the weeks he's played. Um, it's so validating if he gets it done, and it immediately becomes one of the best PGA Tour seasons of all time statistically mm. he's got every yeah. single every single box checked and you can't you almost can't acknowledge how great a season is without having a major 
And I think he knows that, but he is kind of keeping it on the, I don't know, the straight and narrow. His mindset is he's not going to, he says he's probably not going to be that bothered if he doesn't win a major because it's still a successful season. It's good. At some point you elevate to, to where wins are good. Majors are the only thing that's great. And so if you want to have a great season, you have to get a major. You, you automatically win player of the year. Everyone thinks about you differently with two majors that, that might be the most seismic change other than like a Ram Rory win. Yeah. And they do have this, this outsized importance, but I think that that is the whole point. Like that is, it's not, it's not to the point of tennis where the four majors, are the only things that people pay attention to the PGA tour definitely has a more robust schedule. Um, but that is still the way we measure greatness. Yeah. Not just like, okay, who's playing the best golf right now? That's what all the day-to-day stuff is for. Mm -hmm. But it's like, okay, where does your career stack up against the rest of this generation and against all-time greats? As a result, yeah, there's some flukiness in people's baselines and and where uh, where they peaked and how good their peak was and how consistent it was. But that's kind of the game. Like, we are in such a strokes gained world and we've gotten to that point. That we've kind of forgotten that, yeah, that is a way you it's a measure. World. It's a way you predict. But at the end of the day, the guy that wins it is the guy that wins it. And that's kind of what you're here for. You're not here for the, the best tr- strokes gained performances in majors. You're here to win the trophy. So you, you go for a performance like JT had last year where he wins one major and doesn't have that great a season because, you know, it's still a good season if you win a major, no matter what. Here's just a little mini analytical factoid: is that you know, Scotty, what did he finish T three at the Scottish last week? Yeah. You know the Data Golf all time ranking, which takes into account I think like your fifty best rounds in a row. He didn't improve his all time ranking <laughs> by finishing T three. Its all time ranking still uh, begins a number of months ago and ends at the Travelers Championship at this point. He could change that with another high finish this week, but finishing T3 at what is a massive PGA Tour event didn't improve his all-time standard. Uh, it is still fourth best overhaul behind Tiger Woods, Vijay Singh, and David Duvall, and narrowly ahead of John Rahm. Um, all right, well, what's number five, Dylan? Defending champion Cameron Smith mm. repeats. I didn't even have that one down. Yeah. I mean, what he did last year was so sensational on the back nine at St. Andrews. I'm curious how well this course is going to fit his eye because traditionally, I mean, really just the last two times that they've played here, it has been a ball striker's paradise. It has just identified the very best. Like if you look at the if you look at the year end strokes gained T to green rankings for 2006 and 2014 and then you go ahead and look at the final leaderboard at Hoylake it's like a carbon copy it's like the guys that were playing the best and hitting the ball the best Tiger Woods Sergio Garcia Adam Scott like Jim Furyk those were the guys that are at the top of the leaderboard Cameron Smith is probably the best putter in the world of of professional golfers I mean maybe there's a guy out there that can just you know, I was playing the putt-putt world championships. It's better, but uh, of the greatest ball strikers in the world, Cameron Smith seems to be the best putter. Whether he can 
drive it well enough to contend at this place and dodge all those sneaky little bunkers out there and keep himself out of trouble. I mean, he's listed as the fourth favorite for a reason. He's listed ahead of Brooks Kepka. Wow. Which is... That's nuts. That does seem a little nuts to me. But it would validate a lot of things about Liv, I guess, in a way that a Brooks win feels more separate from Liv. Mm -hmm. Cam Smith seems to me more directly associated with Liv with the choice of the active choice of going there as a top golfer in the world and still being able to maintain top form. I mean, clearly you can go to live and yeah, maintain about, top form, but like this would be a, a real feather in the cap. Think about when they made their live decisions. Brooks made his before the U S open uh, at Brookline when he was basically at rock bottom. He said rock bottom came like a month later at Bedminster or uh, at, at the open at, at St. Andrews. He was essentially at rock bottom when he made that choice. Cam Smith was never higher. He made this choice, you know, arguably. Do right, we know when he made this choice? I think, I think the rumors, uh, or the, you know, the, the grapevine would tell you he made the choice relatively just before the, open. yeah, a little before the open, right before he won the open. And so did he sign the dotted line before then? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but, <laughs> Like never been higher when he made that decision yeah. to remove himself from the status quo. Brooks never been lower. So I think your your association of both of them with Liv in different fashions is accurate. Um, all right, number six, Dylan. I feel pretty good about. I don't know if I should lump them together or not, but. Um, that we can just do quick ones then. Um, let's do two separate ones. They're both about the golf course. Nice. Um, internal out of bounds has the potential to be a massive storyline oh. this week. You will see it on the third hole and the 18th hole. Now at Hoylake, those are the first hole and 16th hole for the members. Okay. Um, but basically, if you don't know this place at all, then you haven't been reading anything Dylan and I have written for golf magazine or golf.com. So shame on you, but, um, no shame. This is a shame free <laughs> podcast. Hoylake used to be a, a horse race compound. They used to race horses here and the current members driving range is on the middle of the racetrack and the remaining aspects of the racetrack are the out of bounds markers on the third and the 18th hole of this championship. The third, you really, you tee off and you almost take a 90 degree right angle um, to the right, makes it a dog leg right. And guys will be considering hitting it over the dog leg, which is basically just a mound. It's probably like a five foot wide mound. And it's no problem to hit over it. But if you miss to the right, you really bring out of bounds into play. And there's no, you know, beach there is no like end of the property there is no water it feels like a very weird place to have out of bounds um if you aren't just showing up today it feels a lot easier to understand why it would be out of bounds but anyway that's on the third hole so you've got guys hitting iron off the tee you've got guys hitting driver as far as they can just to blow it through the rough hope they get a decent lie avoid the out of bounds but most importantly, it'll show up on the 18th hole. It's basically out of bounds 
all the way up the right. Again, another kind of diagonal from this old horse track border, and uh, it's a par five. And so yesterday there was this left to right wind, which would just be taking tee shots directly toward the out of bounds line and taking second shots, approach shots towards the out of bounds line as you're looking at, you know, the kind of epic finishing uh, wraparound bleachers that they have at all the opens. And it's just something that will be in the back of your head if you're if you're a pro, if you're contending, even if you're, let's say you're in contention on Saturday and you're just, there's a, the toughest win, the most win we will get, who knows. But if you just wipe across it just a little bit and that ball bounds into the out-of-bounds marker, it's just going to piss a couple players off. And I'm sure by the end of the week, people will be moaning about it. Um, but that's the kind of quirk that I think you get when you go to 200-year-old golf clubs. You just kind of roll with the punches sometimes, and um, that's a lovely one out here, and I think it has a chance to become a big storyline. Yeah, internal OB is a classic thing that if you show me internal OB at like any course that's been built in the last like 60 years, I will say shame on you. <laughs> Design flaw. Uh, but here there's a charm to the courses to the design there's a connection to like the original property and it probably makes sense in a way that it wouldn't make sense at certain yeah i don't know just modern poor courses designed in the yeah. u.s uh, it still sucks though to be clear internal will be like out of bounds should mark the boundary of the golf course it mm -hmm. shouldn't mark something that you don't want to hit into within the property i'm not bothered by it Maybe because I like some kind of chaos that these guys have to deal with. Look, each time I've played the 18th hole, <laughs> once with you, once a couple weeks ago, I hit it out of bounds. <laughs> so it's not a Sean Zock savvy place uh, to have an out of bounds oh, up the God. right. But um, don't hit it there. It is what it is, right? Yeah. Don't do it. You know, Yeah, you know it's there. It's, it's labeled in white paint and white stakes, and you know it's there. Um, I was walking up the 18th yesterday, ran into Joe Scovran, and he was his first thought was like, they sure do like internal out-of-bounds here. Mm. I'm like, don't do it. It's Monday, man. Don't let it get to you. Rise above the OB. Uh, He's not hitting those shots. Yeah. Um, my at The seventh pick? Yeah, number seven. Um, the 71st hole. Um which will also be the 53rd hole, the 35th hole, the 17th hole. Math, man. Yep. Uh, basically, they created a new hole out here at Hoylake within the last nine years since Rory won. Uh, within the last, I think, three or four years, uh, they launched this new hole. They took uh, a, an existing par three and whipped it around, shortened it, pointed it towards the Irish Sea, which is, I believe, mostly often toward the wind, and um, it's now, you know, 130, 140 yard wedge shot up the hill at a plateau green with a bunker short, a bunker left, a bunker right. What they wanted to do, I've been told, is try to create what amounts to an exciting island-esque green because of what you see at TPC Sawgrass. Now, is that something that can and should be done at an old golf club? Um, if, is it the kind of thing you like seeing at the open championship? Does it fit the mold of this tournament? I don't think so. Ooh, um, I don't think it necessarily does, but 
I'm okay with it because it's a prettier golf hole. And again, the same kind of chaos agent stuff. Just deal with it, man. You are you are a professional golfer. Hit a 135-yard shot to the center of the screen. See if you make a one putt. Get out of here with the two putt. Move on to the 18th in that internal OB. Uh, but anyway, this will become a storyline. I guarantee it. You'll see it all over the broadcast. The hole's nicknamed Little Eye, and the drop zone intel would be beyond the green, you see three islands. There's the massive island out to the right, a little of a tinier one to the left of it, and then maybe another couple hundred yards to the left is a little island. <laughs> it's barely an island if the if the um, if the coastline is up. If the tide is up, you might not even see this island, but that island is Little Eye, so that's what it's named after. There's a shed, Sean, down the right side of that hole about <laughs> yes, uh, probably 85 yards off the tee and about 65 yards right of target. <laughs> and that is where I hit my tee shot when we played here last summer. Um, just a cold, hard shank. Was pretty excited for for that tee shot and did not go great. We're so gonna, if anyone hits that shed, I imagine it's still there. Yeah, well, it didn't change much. We're gonna have to this just place. we're gonna share that on Twitter this week, aren't we? Yeah, we'll take a look back in time. <laughs> uh, yeah, little lie. I think we should make it clear it's not an island green. It is. Yeah, no, it's not. That's the, what they were trying to. There's no moat, but I think that there is the sense of okay here is a relatively short iron shot that you just have to execute. There could be some swirling winds, could be some tough conditions. And I think that stuff is sort of baked into all of these storylines, I guess. I didn't know whether to make it its own, but nasty British Open weather, Open Championship weather, like that is sort of in the background of all of this stuff. And I hope that we get some of that. It's not going to be a warm sunny Mm-mm. like last year was hot i was really st hopeful. andrews was was hot and toasty i was really hopeful we might get that english summer west coast sun but uh sounds like we're not so we'll have to deal with it uh what's number eight dylan number eight we sort of covered this earlier but i, I want to just Close the loop on you took Tommy Fleetwood. I'm mm. going to say if another golfer from mm. GB and I wins. Um, so another English golfer or a golfer from Scotland or even even Ireland will toss in there just because of the, uh, the Shane Lowry possibilities. But specifically, I'm thinking of Tyrrell Hatton, mm. who seems like he's never come into a major with a more well-rounded game. Never been hitting the ball better than he has than he is right now. Uh, and he is a very trendy, I don't want to call him a sleeper pick because he's not, but I would say he's a very trendy pick to win. Mm-hmm. Bob McIntyre, after what he did at the Scottish Open last week, is on a lot of people's minds. I mean, the way he played on Sunday, basically, it felt like he played his way into a victory hmm. with a final round 64. Rory chased him down with one of the most impressive two-hole stretches of his career. Um, But Bob McIntyre did everything he needed to do to win. And something interesting about him is that he flip-flopped coaches. He, a few weeks ago, just over a month ago, changed caddies, changed coaches, went back to his old team uh, from several years ago, 
basically when he won the 2019 DP World Rookie of the Year. And he was looking to recapture some of the joy that he played with that season. Then, Sean, after just two and a half weeks, he said, well, shoot, I shouldn't have changed coaches. That was a stupid idea. So then he changed coaches back. (laughs) He undid his coaching change, but he stuck with his caddy change. Uh, So far, so good. He had a chance to win at the Himmerland event, and then he had a chance to win at the Scottish Open. Not a lot of guys coming in with better form in the continent of Europe uh, than Bobby McIntyre. So you throw him in there, and then, of course, yeah, you've got You've got Justin Rose. Uh, you've got the rest of the suspects. You've got Shane Lowry. Uh, you've got Matt Fitzpatrick, who's not playing nearly as good golf as he was uh, last summer in the majors. But, you know, there's still one very important chance left. Yeah. Fitzy would be a very popular winner. Hatton is a Liverpool fan, Liverpool Football Club. So look for that to add to your storylines list, even though it's kind of a would be a Mostly a coincidence. Um, all right, what's next? Storyline number nine. Storyline number nine is someone turning back the clock. And by that, I mean an older champion, someone that we we really wouldn't see coming. In this case, I'm not so much thinking Phil Mickelson, although I guess that would really be the sign of turning back the clock would be someone that is completely shocking off the radar. He did almost win the Masters this year, or at least still finished top two at the masters this year um he would still really shock me i would love to see a strong couple rounds out of padraig harrington yeah because if he contends at this major we can start swirling the conversation of okay oh yeah okay should he be on this Ryder cup team it's swirling already. is there a case to be made what well, he's top 20 right now in the standings at the moment no, I don't think so. No. <laughs> I don't think he is. But I think he's in golf, like the low twenties. golf breaks in top twenty. Okay, um, he's going off at one fifty to one, alongside uh, just on the odds page. But Matthew Jordan, mm. local legend, who uh, I could have included in the previous. Mm. Or wait, am I thinking of Jordan Smith? No, you're right. You could have included him in the the previous one. The little trio of Matthew Jordan, Jordan Smith, Jordan Spieth, Matt Fitzpatrick. That kind of that's that, that's a quattro <laughs> it's a quattro well jordan speed doesn't really get involved his name just sounds like jordan smith bunch of blonde british boys involved there um patty harrington phil mickelson someone someone else that just figures out the Lynx golf situation for the week that is not even on the radar a tom watson situation from back in the day maybe it's i don't know i don't think it's gonna be john daly I'll tell you that much, but maybe it'll be someone we just don't even expect. Padraig's playing great golf. Um, I actually wrote about that this weekend, about how he's playing good golf. You didn't read that, did you? No, I did. It was excellent. Oh, well. But I kind of forgot about it. I read it in the haze of my... It certainly wasn't excellent, but it was him acknowledging that this is his moment for the Ryder Cup. Yes. He was talking about it openly. What he said was excellent. What you did was fine. (laughs) That's better. Um, uh, he, he Stuart Sink. This would be an interesting ooh. moment for Stuart Sink to have his second coming in the spotlight. Sure. All right. Uh, draft pick number ten. I can't tell if this will be our last pick, but for the moment, it has to do with the Ryder Cup. If Taylor Gooch could finish in the top ten, and gosh, 
certainly if he would finish in the top five, you would have to start talking about him in a much more serious way as a captain's pick mm. for the Ryder Cup. Yep. He certainly would get a lot of points for that. Um, Taylor Gooch has won three live golf tournaments this year. He has now infamously compared one of the beginning tournaments of the Ryder Cup or of live golf to the Ryder Cup. So he's kind of got this certainly weird set of connections and relationships going on right now. I don't know how many of his best buddies are Ryder Cup guys uh, or how close he would be with the core of the American Ryder Cup team or how close he is with Zach Johnson. But he's winning all the live events, Dylan, and that means something. Uh, if It he- means he's playing really good golf in those tournaments in that context like there's no question he's beating some really good golfers yeah and so Zach Johnson though he has kind of acted like he's not paying much attention has to be paying attention Zach Johnson played a practice round yesterday with Brooks Kepka. that has to have Ryder Cup implications behind it um, could live get its second Ryder Cup dude this week they've got one essentially locked in with Kepka, but Taylor Gooch Finishing top five would turn some heads in that direction. Gosh, if he'd win, he'd be on the team. Um, could Dustin Johnson squirrel his way onto the team? I don't see it. I don't think DJ's just playing very good golf. But um, either way, Taylor Gooch is someone to watch for that reason alone. God, how weird is it that the the European guys aren't here and that they're not going to be on the Ryder Cup team? I, I think as this week happens and then the Ryder cup approaches the fact that we don't have this group of like elder statesmen, Lee Westwood, Sergio Garcia, Ian Poulter, Mm -hmm. Graham McDowell. uh, I'm sure guys that I'm not even thinking of. We've got Henrik Stenson. That's we do have Henrik Stenson, but it's kind of it. It is strange. Paul Casey. Is he not even in the field? No. I mean, the last time we had an open, he was in the top 30 in the world. I want to say just last summer. Um, credit to Sergio for trying to qualify, you know, not everyone who plays for live even did try to qualify for this championship, which a lot of them didn't, they were going to be coming fresh off of live Andalusia. Right. And had to run up to England. Uh, Laurie Cantor did Laurie Cantor got in his car, drove up. Um, I don't know if he went to West Lanks or if he went to. Uh, Porth crawl in Wales, but either way, he qualified, and that was kind of a big deal at Live London. So there's a couple livers out here that went through qualifying to get here, but notably, like you said, Sergio Gmac, Poulter, Westwood. It's strange. Yep. It's strange to have it an open in England, and you know some of the most iconic English golfers are not here. I'm not. I'm not saying that. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about whether they should be here or not. It's hard to figure out how to how you would have had them qualify for this year's Open. Like you can't just magic them in. It's a major championship. It is a direct result of their actions. Um, but I think it's a shame, and I think it's gonna feel strange that they're not around. How about we go with a couple like? alternates just some wishes we've made the top 10 that's our lottery. that's our top 10 yep well so one that i wanted to include sean that is quite broad is just a first time major winner and this encompasses a lot of guys <laughs> in 
But, you know, you look at Victor Hovland has been playing really good golf in the majors. Uh, he's been legitimately contending for a little while. It was, oh, this guy can't really play tough golf courses, can't play in the majors. He's disproven that at least for three plus rounds at these things. So maybe he gets it done. There's the duo of Cantlay and Xander where it's like, guys, it's time. Past uh, time. We're past time. Cantlay has been playing slightly better golf overall than Xander. Xander has played slightly better golf. Well, much better golf in the majors. I'm talking about over the course of several years. Uh, Cantlay's baseline is extremely high. Both of their baselines are extremely high. They are the some of the most consistent golfers in the world. For the last several years, they've been like the rocks inside the top mm-hmm. eight in the world. So it's time for one of them to get it done. Ricky Fowler is going off, Sean, at 22 to 1. He is in that list that upper tier of golfers who we have expectations for this week, but he has not won a major, which we used to talk about. And then we stopped talking about it because it just didn't feel that realistic. Suddenly now it does. Um, Finished T2 and 14. Max Homa, Tony Finau. <laughs> Neither of them comes in in strong form. Um, Tony Finau, I think, is probably a pretty strong value just because he always plays well over here and he's had a couple weeks to get his game right going off at 50 to one if you look at some of the other names around him i i I like him in that spot so sean i mean yeah cameron young he's quite good at golf no he's playing bad golf though not gonna happen i don't think max home is gonna do it i don't think tony finale is gonna i don't think they're gonna there's no trend lines with any of these dudes ricky Grab him while you can, folks. He's playing the best golf, I think, of his entire life. Um, I wouldn't grab him at 22 to 1. Um, my only alternate draft pick would be uh, Ewan Ferguson. Ooh. Do you know who that is? Yeah. Scottish boy. Played well last week in Scotland. Played well the week before that on the DP World Tour. And notably, has his name on the big board between Tiger Woods and between Rory McIlroy for someone who won here in Hoylake at Royal Liverpool. He won the boys amateur uh, a full decade ago, and he knows there are good vibes out here. I asked him what his his fondest memory is last week uh, when he had a press conference in Scotland, and he just said it's pretty cool to have his name on the big board next to Tiger and Rory. So great vibes for him, and he's playing good golf. I think he's 250 to 1 which just means you don't have to take him to win, but grab him for a top 20, and he might grind that out and make you some money. Maybe Richie Ramsey. Toss him in there. Scottish boy. Good Scottish vibes. He played well a couple weeks ago, too. Uh, Sean, it's going to be a really fun week. Do you want to give me your official pick to win? Xander's going to win. Okay. He's pissed off about the state of things. He's playing really well. He's not putting that well, Uh, but on... Slower greens in an open. Yeah, he's such a good putter baseline that it's certainly possible he yeah. could get hot for a week. Yeah, so Xander's going to win. Uh, I'm finally joining that bandwagon. Aligned. I, I feel bad that you've had to go through the tough stretches. The official drop zone selection. You put yourself through that. I Well, you could argue Xander put me through it. <laughs> uh, yep, yeah, Xander is now 
his price is getting better and better. 25 to 1 is what I'm looking at. Some places I think you can get him even higher. How about a sleeper? You just gave me you and Ferguson. So is that do you have anyone else to add to that category or you're feeling good about that? I'm feeling good. Um I just gave you Richie Ramsey as a deep sleeper. I think uh Corey Connors <laughs> is just that, you know, let's go back to that well. I mentioned him because that's who I put in the magazine. We had to submit our picks for this tournament, what, like two months ago? I'm just laughing because you you really like picking Corey Connors. I love picking Corey Connors. And I think that despite what we saw from Cameron Smith last year where he seemed to win this event with his putter, I think this is a, I think this is maybe a place where Corey Connors sketchy putting could nullify could yeah. Disappear behind, disappear behind some excellent ball striking. He's played well in this. I don't know if he's played well in this event, but for some <laughs> reason, I thought it was a good idea. Whatever you got to do as a gambler to talk your way into things, sounds Corey. like Dylan's going to help you with that. Um, gosh, I'm excited. It's time to get over to the course. Yes. We have probably some fire flames. Brooks Kepka press conference coming here in an hour. But that's it for your drop zone preview. Check out some stuff on the golf.com YouTube page this week. Uh, some behind the scenes stuff we're doing called Seen and Heard, which should give you a good look at the action. And uh, we will be writing stuff all week long from here. Reach out, shoot us a message. We do take story requests, even if we ignore most of them. Um, all right. Love you guys. Have a good week.